Appreciate the prayer on my behalf. Uh, hopefully the things that we'll have to say will be uplifting to you and beneficial as you strive to live a life for God and Christ. I want to say um, before I begin that um, our family is truly grateful for everything that's being done for Coulter and Ashley um, and our family. We, uh, we love each and every one of you. He, uh, he's pretty knocked down and weak this, after this week of chemo, but um, he's persistent to go ahead and, and beat this, and we're just very touched by all the things that are being done for them. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, um, if you listen to the world about God and Christ and just religion in general, very misleading. Um, there's a lot of false teaching out there. One of the things that, that troubles me is the attitude that people have towards God. Uh, for a while tonight, we're going to talk about the majesty of God. You know, um, even so-called religious people have this attitude that's very flippant towards God. And that a familiarity, when they speak about him, that we don't find in the scriptures. Um, we may feel at times that, that God is just an ideal or an ideology that because we can't see him instead of the infinite creator that he is and everything in heaven and earth. There's a mistaken view that people have taken that God is a buddy or a friend. He is not. They carelessly talk about him as being the man upstairs or the big guy. And that comes from an air of disrespect and probably uh, a wall to not get into a real conversation about God. You know, there's only two times in the scriptures that I found that the word friend is used in reference to God. One of those is in Exodus, the 33rd chapter, in verse 11. It says, And the Lord spake to Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. The second time that you can find that is not even recorded in the Old Testament. It's in James, the second chapter, and the 23rd verse, and it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I haven't found any place in the scripture where someone used a reference that they were God's friend, other than this. And you don't find a, a reference of any person saying that God is their friend, not in the Scripture. God is higher. He's elevated. He's our Creator. He's our Savior. He gave His Son for us. While both of these have references to the patriarchal age when God spoke to the heads of families, one of them was not even referred to until the writings in the New Testament. God is always God. 
and God should always be treated as God. And if we listen to men, we'll be led astray. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in verse 28, it says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I think the 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 reverence and godly fear are missing in people's hearts today. Where's this notion come from that God should be treated casually and it's okay to approach Him as such? I think the key place that it comes from is Satan. That He doesn't want us to have reverence. That He doesn't want us to treat Him as a Father. That He doesn't want us to treat Him higher than than anyone else on this earth. Satan does not want us to revere God. So how does he accomplish this? In Genesis, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That tells the whole story right there. Satan doesn't come to us and try to blatantly cause us to not revere God. But if he can confuse the prominence of God in your life and in your heart, and where he fits into the scheme of life, then we will not give God the proper honor, nor will we give him the proper place in our hearts. I think there's two things that Satan has used to do this. I'm going to sound really old here. One of them is Hollywood. When people used to talk about this and I was a child, I thought, not sure what they're talking about. Hollywood. Do not underestimate the power of watching television shows or if you're a fan of the progressive commercial, the programs, or movies. They have a huge effect on our minds. They distort reality. They cause the average person that does not have the proper concept of Scripture to believe lies, and they perpetrate all in the name of entertainment. I want you to think about what they've done. Brother Timothy talked about this when he was here in our meeting. Television shows have emasculated men in their roles. They've masculinized women. They've promoted children as their best decision makers. They've popularized homosexuality and gender confusion. They promote disrespect to leaders and government officials. They make common occurrences of taking God's name in vain. They made common people living together without being married and sexual promiscuity. They portray sinful behavior as proper and the things that God hates as popular. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 30 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, we can take this scripture and interpret it as that if we're hanging out with bad people, then we're going to be corrupted. But what is it when we invite, on a daily basis, these ideas into our homes, and we're consumed by them, we should not be surprised that gradually changes in people's perceptions occur, especially if they're not grounded in the truth. The second thing is false interpretation of John 15. 
In John 15, beginning at verse 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Yet ye in my love, continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than, for a man to, than this, for, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The use of friend in this scripture teach us the importance of Christ's love for us in that he laid down his life for us and he teaches us how that that should be our mindset and he does that so we can be forgiven I think we need to to pause very carefully and not treat the relationship casually even though Christ is our king our king did invite us to be his friend but also he is our friend in respect that he is our intercessor with God in the old law people could not approach God directly and Christ has given us that method by being our intercessor in Hebrews the fourth chapter beginning at verse 14 it says seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ granted us because of the life he lived and the sacrifice he made to come boldly to the throne of God. It does not give us the right to come casually and disrespectfully and without honor. God has a status. He's the creator and he set in place a hierarchy. I want to look at the truth about God where we place Him in our hearts and in our minds. I want to elevate Him to His rightful place. To do that, we need to see how the Scriptures place God. You know, David was very eloquent in his songs, in the writing of the Psalms, and how he described God. But we should not forget that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit who wants us to know how to put God into our lives. The scripture often refers to the majesty of God. Majesty, as an English word, means greatness or dignity. Something that people have taken completely away when they refer to God. In 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter, 
beginning in verse 11. It says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. You know, just because people in general, I don't think we want to use that as in reference to the Christian body, but it, people in, in general don't want to be told what to do. They don't want someone as being their head for anything. They want to do what they want to do, but it doesn't change what God is. I think we all have in our mind a concept of majesty, even though it may be hard to define. In Psalms, the 93rd chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he girded himself. The world also is established, that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. The testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. In the Hebrew language, the word majesty, I'll probably mess up on these pronunciations, but it is uh, guath. To help with an understanding of majesty, in the Hebrew, it is closely related to the word that pride, in a negative sense, is translated from, which is gua. Both of these words are derived from the same root word, which means to rise. When you think of yourself too highly, it's not a good thing. But when you think of God, who alone is great, and the God above all other gods, then understanding the word translated as pride is appropriate. Not that God conveys pride in himself, but rather God's reputation and everything about God deserves glory. It is appropriate then to say that God should be thought of more highly than any other being in heaven and earth. When I think of the word majesty, I think of royalty. You know, I am intrigued by all the pomp and formalism and ceremony of, of courts, of king's courts. Um, I've read and watched documentaries about kings and queens of the past. You know, the, the Queen of England holds his status in our mind, and the rules that are in place surrounding these rulers seem very odd and very eccentric. But they're in place for their countrymen to establish a sense of order and respect and honor. These rules are foreign to us because we have never been under that governing system. Because of the disassociation that we have 
with this, um, with this government, then we have to be very deliberate in how we place God in our lives because it doesn't come natural. We've never lived in a kingdom and served a king that was all-out ruler, that everything he said went, and that if you disagreed, you might be killed. It's true in biblical history that people viewed kings as rulers that were chosen by God. The king was next in line. And if you violated them or said anything uh, against them, that you were living in sin. People of thought throughout history have died because of disrespect to the king or queen that was ruling at that time. You know, our nation's founding fathers exerted force to become free from that type of rule that they thought was uh, against them because of taxa the bad taxation. You know, when we, we can look at a picture of that, we, can, we can't really see a, a true analogy, even when we look at England, because that queen is the head of state. They're not the absolute ruler. It's like being shown a picture of the Grand Canyon or standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. You know, they're both the same picture, but there is a huge difference in the way you feel. One is reality, and one is just a concept. So since we're not familiar with that, we have to be very deliberate and look to the Scriptures to see how we are to reverence God. You know, I think one of the, the things that we have in this country we're very blessed I don't don't get me wrong but one of the negative things that we have from being in this country is the thought that we deserve freedom and that we deserve rights now we do in this country but as far as God is concerned in spirituality we don't deserve freedom we don't deserve rights but we're born into a society that teaches that we can rise above, and we should rise above, and we should be the top dog. But that goes against what Scripture teaches us. David related God's nature to us in Psalms, the 8th chapter. If you would like to turn there, in Psalms, the 8th chapter, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Sound familiar? Brother Luke leads that song quite often. And it's a beautiful song. And it came from a place uh, of the inspired word of God. To continue reading, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained? What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over all the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the fields, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whoso, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
David repeats the words, O Lord, our Lord. Do you know sometimes English, uh, the translation of, of Hebrew into English can be a little lacking. Those are not the same words in Hebrew. The first word that he uses, Lord, is the proper name, Jehovah. The second one, when he says, our Lord, is the word Adoniah in the Hebrew, which means our ruler. He's giving him reverence, and we're lost on the English translation. The scriptures that we've read so far describe this majesty that we talk about uh, in terms that we understand. Excellency, greatness, and honor. In Psalms, the 29th chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, Given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord setteth upon the flood, Yea, the Lord setteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Verse 4 specifically says, The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. There is a power and a force in this majesty. It was first told to be exhibited by the Israelites in Exodus, the 20th chapter. You know, people talk about uh, Moses giving the law, the Ten Commandments. But God is the first one that spoke the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And it scared them to death. And then God wrote the law on the tables of stone. In uh, Exodus, the 20th chapter beginning at verse 18. This refers back to when God spoke to the children of Israel. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Can you imagine? This is God speaking, and this is the perception that the, that the children of Israel had. And when they saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, 
And Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Must have been a powerful and scary sight. And I often think, would they have been better that God would have spoke to them instead of Moses? Because, you know, it wasn't long until they went back into sin. In the Psalms that we read in verse 29, uh, verse 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. You know, the Scriptures teach us that even the name of God is something that should be separated. When Christ taught the disciples to pray, He started off with our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not just God, but His name. And yet it's, it's treated with such disrespect in the world today. In Psalms, the 104th chapter, this is a bit of a lengthy reading, but I, it so captures the thoughts that we're trying to get, get forward tonight. Psalms 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Who covers thyself with light as with a garment. Who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters. Who maketh the clouds his chariot. Who walketh upon the wings of the wind. Who maketh his angel spirits his ministers of flaming fire. Who laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys. Unto the place which thou hast founded for them. The mountains ascend and the valleys descended. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over. That they turn not again to cover the earth. In verse 19, it says, He appointed the moons for season, the moon for seasons, and the sun knoweth its going down. Thou makest darkness at his night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lion roars after their prey, and seek the meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together, and they lay them down in their dens. Did you know... Is it not amazing that over and over and over continually and will continue until this earth ends that at night the creeping things come out and when the sun comes up they go back to where they were and man goes to work in the day and evil is done in the night and it really is. It's amazing that these things hold true every day and has since the creation. It never changes. How great is God's faithfulness. These words point to a creator, a controller of nature, who is to be respected and praised. And while this is a major theme in the Old Testament, it's also carried through in the New Testament by the writer of Jude. 
we can read in the book of Jude, the 24th and 25th verse. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Jude closes his book by identifying the character of God. But God tells us himself about his own character. In Job, the 38th chapter, uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And here he's referring back to his friends who were there to so-called comfort him. But I think they tormented him. But they spoke lies about God. And God made it known when he first talked to Job. He said, who is this that's talking without knowledge? And I think that's what we see so much in the world today. People talk about God but they haven't got the idea from Scripture. They haven't got the truth. They talk about God from emotion and from what they've heard about people who are supposed to be in the know. God goes ahead and says, Gird up thy loins now like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. You know, God also challenged Job to be like he was a couple of chapters later in Job 40 beginning at verse 9. And he says, Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. You see, God knows that he's majestic. He knows that he is excellent. He is the very definition of what these terms are. And yet people don't know that today. He goes ahead and says, And array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold everyone is, that is proud, and abase him. Look on everyone that's proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess to thee that thine own right hand can save thee. You know, God is, in a sense, being very sarcastic to Job, but in reality, he's challenging him. If you think you know about me, then you do what I can do. Stretch your hand out like I have, and create Know the proud people and make them low. You see, God has the ability and the power to do everything. And man, nothing. That is why he deserves to be revered by us and honored. The God that we serve is alive. He's not a dead image that's made by man's hands. Like other gods that people in the past have served. Our God is alive and, and eternal and clearly in control of His creation. 
the answer that God gave Job puts in perspective James, the fourth chapter, beginning of verse 13. It says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God's power and his majesty, when we think of them, should keep in perspective the God we serve, who deserves our honor and praise. He's the greatest of the great. His kingdom will last forever. His creation is beyond anything that we can justify by science, and He deserves to be worshipped and praised. I encourage you to be ready to tell someone when you hear them, take God lightly, or to use His name in vain, how great God is. It should cause us to revere Him and worship Him and want to be obedient to Him. I hope you've enjoyed the lesson tonight. We haven't spoke on the first principles, but if there's one here who's never named the name of Christ and would like to do that tonight, we would encourage you to do that. Or if there's one here who would desire the prayers of the church, we'd ask either one to come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.